Lord, we are grateful for that cross, that rugged cross, our salvation, where your love was poured out through the blood of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We are amazed, we are in awe of that love, that gift, that unbelievable price that you paid to buy us back from our slavery to sin. Lord, thank you that you didn't just do that, but you accomplish our salvation by waking us from our sinful slumber, calling us uh, out of the tomb like Lazarus. Come forth and live. See my son and have life in his name. Lord, we're grateful for the grace of faith bestowed so lavish upon us. We are truly yours from beginning to end and to your glory from beginning to end. So, Father, as we consider these verses today, we pray that they would land us in that place just amazed at the wonder of forgiveness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this sermon, The Joy of Forgiveness. The Joy of Forgiveness. And oftentimes when you think of Thanksgiving praise, you don't often think of uh, a penitential psalm or a psalm that would be addressing sin and iniquity. Uh, But it is uh, purposeful. I think many times on Thanksgiving we think of a lot of the blessings of God. But the single most uh, life-altering blessing that we have been given by God is that we have been forgiven of our sin, brought near to Him, that He has ransomed us from our destruction, rightful under His wrath, and and brought us into His home, into His family, to enjoy Him, to be with Him. And so, just a few minutes here to to spend together as we prepare to to hear from one another at the microphones. I titled verses 1 and 2, Happy and Free. Let me just read these verses for us. Blessed is the one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. These are amazing verses. I, I, I love uh, a more literal version of this word. I I think the word blessed is great. It's just a little churchy, and it doesn't always meet us. You know, be blessed, blessing, blessing. Those are good words, but here's the literal reading. How very happy, how very happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, when you see that beginning, what psalm immediately comes to mind? Anyone? Psalm 1. Psalm 1. It's the very first psalm of the, of, the, of the book of Psalms. It begins the same way. Blessed is, or how very happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead, what does he do? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And, and on that law, he meditates day and night, day and night. That is really the call of all of the Psalms, that we would come and do the same. 
have the heart of the psalmist in his joy in the word. Psalm 119 best displays this delight in the law. Oh, I love your law. I love your commandments. They are my delight day and night. The other psalm that comes to mind as I read this is Psalm 51. Psalm 51, where King David, his most popular or well-known psalm, he confesses his sin. And, and, and his sins were very in view. They were, they were horrific sins that he had committed. And his psalm of confession to the Lord. What's interesting about Psalm 32 is it is the bringing together of Psalm 1 and Psalm 51. So Psalm 1 in view, blessed is the man. I think that's what was on the heart of David as he wrote this psalm. And at the same time, he's reflecting on the events that unfolded that he recorded in his confession in Psalm 51. So one of the things he said in Psalm 51 is, I will teach others the joy of your salvation. I will tell the congregation of your greatness and your forgiveness. And so Psalm 32, here, here is when he does that. Blessed, how happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, David uses four different words to describe the, the nature of that which he is being forgiven. I love this. In fact, last week we talked how important it is. Don't just generalize your sins. Be specific as you confess. Don't give fair names to foul sins, as Spurgeon said. Look, look at what he says. He uses the word transgression. The, the word means to willfully cross the boundary, and in this context, set by God. You, you transgress over the boundary that God has set. It is a willful, a decided disobedience. Another word he uses is sin. It's a very common word, familiar to us, most literally, sin means missing the mark or to fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. You picture an archer who is targeting the target and his arrow, rather than reaching the target, falls far short into the ground. That is sin. We miss the mark. We, we fall short of the glory of God in our disobedience to him. Iniquity means to twist or to bend. It's an inner moral corruption that is spoken to here. David is acknowledging this. He is calling it what it is. And then deceit. Uh, this was something that David knew well because the sins he had committed that he has in mind, I believe, uh, were covered. He ignored them. He hid them. He was seeking to conceal his wrongdoing. Deceit. Until, you remember, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan. And he came and he told them the parable. And in that interaction, God opened David's eyes. And Nathan said, you are the man. You are the perpetrator of such an evil. And he, his sin was exposed before the Lord. He had committed adultery with another man's wife. He had acted to have that man killed in his, seeking to cover up that adultery and sin. Multiple layers of sin, a, a horrible web woven, and it all fell in on his head. But don't forget how it starts. How very happy is the man, even in the face of this, whose iniquity, transgression, his sin, his deceit is forgiven. Forgiven. 
Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, he uses four different words to describe the impact of God's action to the four different words he describes of his sin and offensiveness to the Lord. Transgression forgiven. Uh, more literally, to be lifted up and carried away. Carried away. How happy is the man who has his transgressions lifted up. You feel that burden? Lifted and taken away. How very happy is the man whose sin is covered. This has in view the blood of the sacrifice. Now remember, King David is living in Old Testament times. Their faith in the practice of the sacrificial system anticipated the sacrifice of Jesus, right? So all he has in view is that sacrificial system, but even there, he sees the work of God. When that lamb is sacrificed and that blood is shed, the, the, the image there is, that should be me. But instead... That lamb has taken my place. He is a substitute sacrifice for my sinful behavior. And that blood then hides away. It covers my sin. Iniquity. How happy is the one whose iniquity is not counted or charged or held against. It's not an iniquity that is kept a record of. It's gone. It's removed. And how happy is the one in whom there is no deceit found. There's no deceit found. David knows this well. He knows how awful it was to seek to hide his sin, to try to lie to himself, to try to lie to everyone else, to try to ignore and try to run from the conviction of God. It's a miserable way to live. Psalm 103 Verses 11 and 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What does that mean? It means they're gone. They are gone. They do not exist. Those sins confessed, repented of, are abolished. They are wiped clean. If we're dealing in computer terms, the delete button is hit. Done. They're gone. Does that blow your mind? Does that amaze you? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might died to sin and lived to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. This is the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices that David knew so well. This is the one sacrifice for all, once given for all. It is the blood of Jesus Christ who was placed upon that cross on my behalf. It's a substitutionary atonement. He paid for sins I committed. And he buried him in the tomb. And then he rose in victory. You see what happens then? He purchases the ability for an infinitely holy God to actually forgive. He he makes it possible for forgiveness. 
How else could sinners be forgiven and justice be upheld? There's no other way. What an amazing thing to consider. Now listen to the contrast that David speaks of here. The misery, I call this, the misery of silence. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Pause and ponder. David has a very keen and distinct and fresh memory of what it was like to try to live with this conviction and pretend that it wasn't there. To to try to ignore it and, and run away from it. Push it down. It was miserable. Hmm. God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews calls this out. If he did not love us, he would not lean upon us with a heavy hand when we walk away from him in sin. When we chose to drink the poison of sin, when we feed upon things that are destroying us from the inside, he would, he would just stand by. But he loves us. And so he lays heavy upon conviction and on our conscience. It is love, my friends. It is love. It's the love of God that brings you to your knees when you wander from him. He calls you back. David describes this as bones wasting, groaning all day, misery day and night. Strength was drained as in the heat of uh, the the summer. We were out in D.C. this past summer, and it was insanely hot and humid. And I mean, I like seeing things, but mostly I liked air conditioning at that point. I did not want to go to a place that was hot. And so there was a point along the way, uh, Jenny's parents are both here today, we were all there together, and we, we were so exhausted by the heat, we just got on this bus, and it had air conditioning. And we didn't care where it was going, or what was happening, we were just sitting there, just, oh, this feels so good. Where should we get off? We don't want to get off. It was refreshing. But you've, you've been there. It's like that, David says. When the heavy hand of conviction is upon you and you know your sin and you choose to keep silent about it, try to hide it, push it down, pretend that it just will all go away, the Lord will chase you. He will be heavy upon you because He loves you. Because He loves you. Now the wonder of forgiveness. Verse 5. After this period of time, and certainly with Psalm 51 in view, Nathan the prophet sent, God brings this very clear and distinct conviction through the, the voice of the prophet, and David finally comes to this place in verse 5. He says this, I acknowledged my sin to you. To you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. 
pause and ponder that. I think one of the things that stands out for me in this little verse is the speed with which God forgives. The slowness. David is just dragging his feet. Oh, I don't want to do it. I don't. Finally, he gets to the place where he confesses and he finds immediate forgiveness. God is not saying, well, you were sure slow to bring this sin to me, and therefore I'm going to be a little slow to bring forgiveness to you. You wait on it for a couple weeks. No, it is instantaneous. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. That's amazing. That's who he is. That's, that's our God. Quick to forgive. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. We learn about the heart of God in the speed with which He forgives when we confess our sin. The kindness, His goodness. He is such a good God. Here's a few thoughts about forgiveness, just, just so we have this in view. The, the, the wonder of forgiveness should never leave us. Forgiveness is not fair. Do you realize that? Fair is that sinners would feel the fire of hell forever. That's fair. That's just. You don't want fair from God. What you long for in this grace of God is that his forgiveness would be placed upon you. It's not fair. And it's certainly not deserved. That's what makes it amazing. King David acknowledges his sin and he is met with lavish forgiveness. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not deserved. It's not expected. It is lavish. Forgiveness is costly. The cost of forgiveness is the infinite, perfect, sinless, and worthy blood of Jesus. That's the price that the Father paid to buy us back from our sin. To expiate His wrath and justice on His Son instead of us. So, that's amazing. Amazing love. And yet forgiveness is free. It's an amazing thing to, to think. This, this forgiveness is a gift. It is a gift bestowed freely. It is, is lavishly set out. Forgiveness. Hmm. Now, the blessings of intimacy. Look at what he goes on to describe here. This, this just strikes me. It's not, it's not that God just simply forgives us. Just, just wipes the slate clean and then walks away. There's more. Verse 6, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters. Uh, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. And now, listen to this. 
God steps in and speaks even more directly to us. This is, this is God speaking. So certainly it's God speaking through the, the work of David's pen, but now God is ad- directly addressing us. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you, God says, with my eye upon you. Does that blow your mind? Ethan celebrated his spiritual birthday this past week. We mark it each year when, our, when our, all of us, when, when, when God saved us. And we have a special dinner. And we tell the story. Remember that night? Remember how it went down? Remember those, those amazing conversations? Remember when repentance took place? I asked Ethan, what is one of the most precious things to you about your relationship with God? And, and this is what stood out, that, that, that God's eye is on me, that, that he cares for me. Who am I? That's so right. That's a good thought. When God is big and we are small, that is what the Bible teaches. That's exactly right. Who am I? And great are you. Great are you. That you love me. Consider this. It's not just that he forgives, but then he lavishes all of these things. Protection, preservation, liberation, deliverance, shouts of deliverance, direction, teaching, counsel, instruction. God is so good to us. He's so kind. It's a, he doesn't just take the rebel and make him a son. He raises up the son to be like Jesus, day after day, persevering in steadfast love, forgiving, 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 forgiving. You see, repentance, it's not like you just take a bath once. It's it's that we daily bathe in the good news of the gospel, and we are washed day by day. The gospel meets us at a point in time and brings us to life, and then every day after that, We come back and find grace for every day. More than enough. Amazing that God would treat us with such kindness and faithfulness. Now, God has another verse specifically for us to address us even more directly. (laughs) This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 9, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. I think maybe more literally the word there would be stupid, okay? Which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. What's, what's he saying? He's saying this, God delights in a broken heart, a contrite spirit. God prefers that we would come and plead for His grace and His mercy and forgiveness. But if we won't, He will get out the bridle and the bit, and He will do what is necessary to bring the rod of discipline into our lives to draw us back to Him. Because He doesn't just give up on us. He says in the New Testament, that under the discipline of God, some have grown sick and some have even died because of their 
wandering off into sin and their hardness of heart. God doesn't play games with the rod of discipline. We should take that very seriously. It's love. It's love. He will turn our head. He will draw us back in. And sometimes He will kick us in the rear end and get, it back, get back in that kennel. Get back in that, that pen. I'm thinking my dog, not, not my horse. You need to get a, a horse in a kennel. That'd be interesting. My dad has an ornery horse. And I, I have witnessed the discipline of such a large animal. And man, I'm glad I don't have that horse. That thing's big. But my dad is in charge. And that, that horse has a stubborn streak in him. And he needs a bit and a bridle and every now and then a kick in the rear. It's love. It's love. He disciplines those he loves. Don't be stubborn and silent in your sin. Don't wait and wallow. Don't be proud and stay in other. The, the challenging thing about pride is it's a, it's, a, it's a sin that hides sin. It's like a blanket sin. Pride itself is offensive. It's one of the most toxic sins in your soul, but it also is quite successful at washing over and, and blinding you to other sin in your life. Oh, the inclinations in us when we sin, they are Nothing new. They are on display in Genesis 3, right? Hide your sin. They run for the bushes. What did they grab? Fig leaves. If you know anything about fig leaves, you do not want to wear those. Extremely uncomfortable, okay? Why? I think the Lord has a little irony in that. To hide your sin. I'm just going just to conceal it. No one has to know. I'm going to keep it down. Keep it quiet. Here's the thing. God always knows. And you know. And those who are discerning, who know you well, they know too. They know too. It's not hard to notice when joy leaves the heart. When all of a sudden, a passionate, fiery, joy-filled walk with God grows cold. What happened? Why haven't we seen you lately? What's going on? Right? That's love. Sin concealed will always at some point be revealed. Sometimes our inclination is to minimize our sin. Oh, it's really not that big a deal. It wasn't that wrong, was it? Hmm. It's just an apple. What's the big deal? Just an apple. Justify your sin. Hey, Lord, the woman, she gave it to me. It's her fault, right? Or, what did you expect me to do in a situation like that? I was just reacting. Everybody would respond that way. I have a right to my sin. Hmm. Or, I have a right to pout. I am just going to be miserable, and I want to make sure everybody else knows I'm miserable. I'm going to pout. I'm justified in this. You see the function of pride here? What it does? It's the blanket of sin 
that would seek to conceal while only making it fester. This might be one of the most toxic ones to pacify sin. Because I'm miserable day and night, because I'm, my bones are groaning, because I have all of this conviction, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump headlong into something that will try to wash it away. Alcohol, drugs, idolatry, relationship. Find a new church, right? That'll solve it. Rather than address the sin, pacify it. Friends, God loves us too much to let us linger in this place. He will bring His conviction. He will bring His bit, if need be. And He will bring us back to Himself. Mm. How miserable is the man who lives in this place. And how happy is the man who speaks words of confession and finds forgiveness. The sacrifices of God, David writes in Psalm 51, are a broken spirit. Look at the humility here. I own it. I did it. I was wrong. You're right, Lord. I am in sin. I confess it to you. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Quite opposite. God delights in it. Because he lavishes his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness there. Preach this to yourself every day. Every day. Come and confess, Jeremy. Come and confess. Don't remain silent. Don't sit and wallow in this mess. Come and confess. Leave sorrow. Find forgiveness. So, very happy is the man or the woman who lives this. Now, verses 10 and 11 close this and lead us well to the microphones. 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Do you see what freedom and forgiveness look like? They return to the Lord glory and praise. Gladness and delight. Don't miss this. That that right there is a command. Be glad in the Lord. That's a command of God to all of us here today. Be glad in the Lord. That gladness is rooted in the confidence because we're trusting in his steadfast love. He is a good God. He forgives sin. Steadfast love, gladness, righteousness, and rejoicing. These are ours, friends. They're ours today. We know this. Think of how many in this world don't know this experience. They know wallowing. They know silence. They know darkness. They know conviction. They know hardness of heart. But here we are. Who are we? By the grace of God. We know Jesus. 
He is the object of our joy, uh, the, the, the accomplisher of our salvation, the reason we can be forgiven. So our response this morning, just want to just land this and, and just say, if God is heavy with his hand upon you right now, confess. You can do it right here. Right now, you can do this. Don't wait for another day to go by. The promise is there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and, and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. So, don't live under the heavy hand of God in His conviction. Come close to Him. Confess your sin. And you will know this even today. And say it this way. The highest praise of a happy heart comes from these two things. Experiencing the forgiveness of God and enjoying the God of forgiveness. The reason forgiveness blows our mind is, yes, the, the, the slate is wiped clean, we're forgiven, but, but we get God. It's, it's what brings us into this intimate relationship, joy, delighting, walk and and, and journey with such a great God. Sin will keep you cold to God. It will put barriers in view. You will not delight in His Word if you're living in sin and silence. It will be convicting, and so you will push it away, and you will try to fill your mind with other things. But when you're close with God, and you confess your sins, this Word becomes a, a, a delight, a joy. Your prayers will not be hindered. Your heart will overflow in praise. So it is my prayer that all of us today would experience this all week long. Every day, as God convicts us of our sin, be quick to run to Him. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Repent. Turn from that sin. And know this joy. Amen? Let's pray. Of all the blessings, O oh great God, that we have been forgiven to know You far exceeds them all. What good would earthly blessings be if we were lost in our depravity? What good would forgiveness be if it didn't bring us to You Oh, Lord, thank you for being such an amazing God, such a, a, a quick forgiver of our sins, such a faithful God, steadfast in your love. We delight in you, O oh Lord, God of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.